Thank you for purchasing this audio product. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We believe that your faith will increase and your life changed by applying the principles in this teaching. I believe the next move of God is a prayer movement in the Holy Spirit. Not prayer as a rhetorical circumlocution or prayer as a routine, but praying in the Holy Ghost. I wondered why the church in Acts, when they prayed, the, sh the building shook. And I asked God one day as I was studying and praying, and he said, because they prayed in the Spirit. Until you get into the Spirit, the Word will just be the Word. But when the Holy Spirit makes the, the Holy Ghost wrote the Scriptures, and when the Holy, Ghost, Holy Spirit ignites the fire of revelation, the Word becomes alive. And when the Word becomes alive, then Jesus manifests His resurrected power through your life. Somebody say, Amen. Now, we're living in a time where demonic powers, principalities, wicked spirits, rulers of darkness are on the increase coming up against the will of God and against the church. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I want you to understand that Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus comes to the Decapolis states, the 10 states that form the Decapolis states, out of Caesarea, outside of Israel, and he asks his disciples, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And then some said he's Elijah, the, prop, the bold prophet. Some say John the Baptist, or Elijah, the uncompromising prophet. John the Baptist, the bold prophet. Some say Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. They looked at Peter and said, Peter, who do you say that I am? The Bible says, the Spirit of God comes upon Peter, and Peter said, you are the Christ the anointed one. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. But my father, which is in heaven, upon this revelation, upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I give unto you the keys of the kingdom that whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want you to understand we have been given the keys of the kingdom. And so the onus is placed upon us right now. It is our opportunity, our privilege, our honor. And it's given to us that we must bind every force of the enemy that's coming up against us, against the church, against our families, against our businesses, against the things that God has called us into, uh, into doing for him. Now, Jesus enters the temple. And when he enters the temple, the first thing that he does, he turns the money changers and those that sold and those that bought it, and they made it like a bazaar. And Jesus said, my house shall not be called a den of thieves, but the house of prayer. Look at the analogy from a den of thieves to the house of prayer. I hope you do not make the, the house of God a den of thieves, but a house of prayer. Because where there's prayer, there is power. Where there's prayer, there's a release of the power of God. Prayer gives you power. Praise brings the anointing. The Holy and revelation bring, and the worship brings revelation. I want you to understand today, as I begin to get to the word of God, that God has a specific word for us here today. Much of the church's wealth is in the hands of spiritual cartels. Mafias and syndicates who operate behind the scenes to capture the wealth through demonic powers and wicked spirits. The church is under duress. The church is under a siege of the enemy. There is a lot, a lot of wealth that needs to come back to the body of Christ. But the God of this world is holding back this thing. That takes me back something like about 22 to 24 years ago. I was fasting and praying and I saw a wall. And 
Suddenly, behind this wall, I saw demons jumping behind the wall and, and juggling with gold coins, juggling gold coins. And as they began to do this, they jumped in front of the wall. And then I drew a bloodline around what I was seeing, and they couldn't come near me because they were a little bit afraid. And as I was praying, the Lord said to me, the wealth is beyond the walls where demons are preventing that to, to come to us. And it's going to take the church that prays to prevail. It's going to take the church. It's no more the time for nab it and grab it, claim it and name it and all that stuff. But a church that can pray will prevail. The church that intercedes, God will intervene on their behalf. I'm going to get into some scriptures here to explain some important things with you, to, with you this morning so that you understand where we're at right now, where, God, where we're heading. Now, to break the bonds of captivity, we need intercession, intercessory prayer. We need to go beyond prayer into intercession. You see, when we go into intercession prayer, travailing in the spirit, warfare spirit, prophetic, uh, warfare prayer, and, uh, and prophetic prayer, we're breaking loose into the realms of the spirit. Daniel was just not praying, he was interceding. And when he was interceding, the Bible says the prince of Persia withstood him. And then the other princes came up against him. Then he called for reinforcement, the angel, the, the, the archangel. It is not incumbent for God who is the creator to fight his creation. And that's the reason why Michael is the guardian and the fighting warring angels that protects Israel. In my office, I have an effigy, effigy, effigy of Michael the archangel. Right? And he wars against Satan. I want you to know that Michael will conquer Satan. Michael will conquer Satan finally. But it's our prayers that stand. It's a legal right. The only way that we can get God to work in the earth in a legal way is through prayer. It's the mandate of the church to pray. And you need to understand here today, we need persevering prayer. We need prevailing prayer. We need passionate prayer. We need the wall breaking prayers. And when we pray, God will step in. It's like Hezekiah who exposed the kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem to Merodach Baladan, the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar sent his son to spy out Jerusalem and Judah before he can hold both the, both, both the cities in siege. Hezekiah may have turned the wheels of history, but it took Daniel within the confines of Babylon in captivity who began to pray the prophetic words of Isaiah the prophet Isaiah 45 I have my phone here my Bible is on my phone I'm not calling anybody so I thought I'll just read this to you Isaiah 45 Daniel knew about this and he said thus says the Lord of his anointed to Cyrus whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates and the gates shall not be shut I will go before thee Cyrus, and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by the name, am the God of Israel. I want you to know in scripture alone, Cyrus is mentioned by name 23 times. There are other times and influences where Cyrus is mentioned in the scripture. 
Now Cyrus could not rise up to plunder Babylon until he had a Daniel praying in Babylon in captivity for Cyrus to rise on the outside and plunder Babylon. And God says, Cyrus is a Medo-Persian. It is the first non-Jew that is mentioned in the scriptures as a Messiah, as the anointed one, and my shepherd and my servant. So God raised Cyrus for such a time to plunder Babylon, retrieve the wealth that Babylon, that Nebuchadnezzar had taken into Babylon and bring it back to Jerusalem. When Cyrus came into the power in his first year, he said, we need to reconstruct Jerusalem, rebuild Jerusalem. And he ushered in the mysteries of people back into Jerusalem to reconstruct Jerusalem. I want you to understand there is a Cyrus anointing that is rising upon the earth. An anointing to plunder the kingdom of darkness, of Babylon then go beyond the walls where the enemies held finances and wealth that needs to come back to the church. This final move of God will be characterized by three moves. Number one, there is going to be the supernatural. Number two, there's going to be ushering him of souls coming to the knowledge of salvation. And number three, the wealth transfer is about to take place. It's time to get excited for what God is about to do and it's time for the church to rise up, clap, not only clap your hands, pray like you never prayed before, trust God for the breakthroughs, for the Daniels to rise up, for the Hananias to rise up, for the Azarias to rise up, for the Mishals to rise up. You know them at Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego go but I came to tell you today there's a new generation that's rising up that will not shut down anymore and take no for an answer because like Isaiah the prophet who prophesied for 760 years before Jesus came 430 years before Cyrus comes onto the power I'm telling you the prophetic word wants to manifest when God gives you a prophetic word it is the original intent of God it is an advanced word to tell you this is your destiny this is orchestrated in the counsel of my divine will I'm about to do something this is not a man's word this is God's word there are angels watching over that world and when you begin to pray the prophetic world begins to manifest hallelujah hallelujah Hezekiah may have turned the wheels of history but through prayer Daniel spun the wheels of, dest wheels of destiny I just want you to know yet today that there are Isaiah the prophets that are current in the world you may not even know it Micah the prophets Ezra the priests, even also we got like Elijah the prophets and Elisha the prophets are rising all over the place. Those anointings are not in heaven. Those anointings are in the earth right now. And God's about to do something with the prophetic word. Every prophetic word needs to manifest through prayer. The devil is waging a warfare, warfare against that word. And that's the reason why. Listen to me now. That's the reason why Paul writes to Timothy, you, my son Timothy, you need to wage a good warfare for the prophetic word. Because Satan is contending for that word. I came to tell somebody today 
God sent me to tell you, if you had a prophetic word 25 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 2 years ago, back it up with prayer and watch God begin to manifest his word and bring it to pass. Ain't no devil in hell will run you off when you begin to pray. Because when you pray, the syndicates have to leave. The assassins have to go. And I'm going to tell you something. All those syndicates, those assassins, those conspiracies. You know, when, when, you, when you hear in a church setup that people want to leave and they begin to collude with each other, that's a syndicate. It never came happened in the church. It happened in the spiritual world. And when the spirit world, it begins to manifest. What you have to do is start praying against the syndicate. Pray against the spiritual assassins. Pray against those gangs of demons that are sent against the man of God. What your man of God needs right now, not more criticisms, not more judgments, but the church begin to back him with prayer. And don't slow him down. Stand behind him. Push him by the shoulder and say, we are backing with your prayer. With you, backing you with prayer, apostle. We can do this together. United we stand. Divided you leave. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you Jesus. Tithing is not a money matter. Tithing is a covenant matter. Tithing is in the Bible long before the law of Moses was instituted. Abraham lived over 450 years before Moses was born. So don't tell me that tithing is under the law. It's not under the law. Because God found in a son, a righteous son, who could think like him, that he could institute the initiate the covenant. And the covenant is a covenant of peace. But there's a connected to the covenant that Abraham taught us long before Moses came on the scene. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 14. Let's read from verse number 14 onwards. Now when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants and were born in his, that were born in his own house. And he went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the woman and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. Excuse me. After his return from the defeat of Shedaloma and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the most of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe. Abraham gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a, to a sandal strap. And that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Anna, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. I want you to understand the story is a prolific one. It is a numerological significance and blessings. There is a battle of kings in the valley of Shaveh, the king's valley. The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled into the mountains. Kings of Sodom and Gomorrah were five kings with allies fighting against Shedoloma with four kings. Five and four are nine kings coming together in battle. And after the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah lost their battle, they took Lot, 
the nephew of Abraham, and they hid in the mountains after the defeat. But Abraham settles 318 of his servants. How would you like to have 318 servants? He's a very wealthy man. 380 servants, divides his forces against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, pursues them, attacks them, recovers all the goods, and his nephew and their family, nine kings in battle. The lesser of the allies win against the greater evil kings. The biblical significance has revelatory significance or meaning. Sodom and Gomorrah signifies the kingdom of the world system. The system of unrighteousness, Sodom, sodomy, homosexuality, lesbianism, all those things of the world of lesciviousness. And they'll probably go on with the spirit of mammon and dealing with and scheming things and doing under, dealing underhandedly and getting contracts through bribes and, and all that kind of stuff. You're either a schemer or a dreamer. All right. It is the same spirit of Babylon. The system of capture, capture and captivity. Nebuchadnezzar sieged Jerusalem and Judah. And the great sons of Daniel, Ananiah, Azariah and Mishael came to tell somebody what the enemy meant for evil. God is about to turn for good. You'll rise up in captivity. You'll slay down the Nebuchadnezzar of your times. And you'll even go through the burning fiery furnace. You'll go through the floods. You'll go through the fire. And you'll come to your most wealthy place. God is a way of doing it in style to get us to where he needs to get us. Somebody say amen. amen. The liberation of Lot by Abraham and his servants is the notable victory of a father protecting his interests and building legacy. I want you to know that the world system is non-covenantal, independent. It's an enslaving system. You'll find that it's very cosmetic. It's built up very superficial on the, on the top, but it has no depth of character. It does not have a covenant. But the systems of God, which is covenantal, is a system based on love. You love God, loyalty, commitment, and it's based for eternity. Anything of this world will die, but anything of God will last forever. Somebody say amen. amen. Your Daniels, your Hananias, your Azariahs, your Michels. I need to rise right now in this place. God told me at 10 past 3 this morning, stop devaluing yourself because of your circumstances. What I've spoken concerning you and this house, I'm about to do. If you stand up to pray and you believe that I'm able to do it, I will do it. Listen to this. The nine kings have done their job in battle. You are in a warfare. When you tithe, you are in a battle. The battle didn't start by you. It started in heaven. Satan doesn't live in heaven anymore. He's on the earth. He's called the God of this world. And being the God of this world, you, have, you are in combat. You're in constant, constant battle. Tithing, Abraham, I, you know, I wondered why Abraham tithed. No one spoke to him about tithing. In the chapters preceding this year, no, no word and the word tithe was never mentioned. But how does Abraham take out one-tenth and give it to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the, is the son of the Most High God. Now, uh, uh, now is, uh, and also the Bible speaks about him in the book of Hebrews. He neither has beginnings, no end, no mother, no father. He's uh, like the ancient of days. The, uh, he has the similitude of God, the son of God. He is Jesus in the theophany that appears to Abraham. Immediately when he pronounces a prophetic blessing on Abraham. And notice the prophetic blessing was this. Uh, it is the Lord God Almighty that has blessed you and given you deliverance today. 
Watch this. And the Bible says immediately that Abraham takes a tenth and gives it to him. You know my understanding of scripture that Abraham knew God intuitively. He knew him by revelation. And knowing by revelation and knowing him intuitively is greater than knowing him by information and intelligence. He took out the tent to give it to him and the covenant was ratified and exemplified and amplified in the next chapter. It's not that Abraham did not have supernatural encounters with God. Chapter 12, he has a supernatural encounter. Chapter 13, he has a supernatural encounter. Chapter 14, he has a supernatural encounter. Chapter 15, he has a supernatural encounter. Why? This man walks with God. But his father is called Tira. Tira means going backwards. And God said, I'm not taking you backwards. I'm taking you forward. You need to understand here today, he's made a covenant with Abraham. And the word of God says in Galatians 3.29, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. And here's according to the promise. We come out of the Abrahamic covenant. We come out of a seal that is greater than the circumcision seal. The seal is the Holy Ghost upon your life. And can I tell you something through the Holy Ghost? We are able to do exceedingly abundant above which we are able to imagine or think according to the power that works inside of us. So this next move is the building of our faith. And our faith is built not only through the scriptures and studying the word. That's one aspect. But the Bible says building up yourself in your most Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost. Building up your faith in your most holy ghost. Building up yourself in your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. So when we pray in the Holy Ghost, we're building up our faith. Nine is the number of finality of natural orders and natural benefits. Ten is the number of divine order of supernatural benefits. We've worked and toiled. We've fought and we fought against the enemies of our time. When Abraham was making this covenant with the turtle doves uh, and the hypha and the pigeons. Uh, and the Bible says the vultures tried to, to steal the covenant uh, that he was making with God. And before the burning torch came to consume that covenant. Uh, after God gave him the promise. Uh, the next thing that happens. Uh, the, he was fighting the vultures. Uh, and the vulture speaks about your enemies. Uh, and your demonic powers. Uh, and principalities and wicked spirits. Uh, and some of you have been fighting your enemies. Uh, and fighting your demonic powers and fighting and you got weary by the night and the deep sleep from God comes upon you and when that deep sleep comes upon you from God you are going to look into the future 430 years into life and legacy and dynasty that you're building for God and might I tell you something when the enemy when you are fighting your enemy the enemy thought is wearing you out the enemy thought is stealing your energy the enemy thought you're not going to mount to anything but the burning torch of God came to consume the covenant because the covenant that he made with you and it's an eternal covenant and it will stand forever. It's the covenant of peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Wholeness, completeness and well-being. Tithing is the covenant connector. Hallelujah. You may take your seats. So he meets Melchizedek. Melchizedek meaning my king is God. Sedek, the king of righteousness. Salem, Shalim. In Hebraic, Shalim. In Hebrew, Shalom. He is the priest of the Most High God. Salem has two significances. Firstly, Salim is a derivative and transliteration from Arabic, from Arabic to the Hebrew from Shalim. This means, watch this, complete and perfect peace. The three things that you must pursue in your life. The peace of God, the love of God, and the fear of God. All right. It also has definitions of being whole, full, finished, safe, unharmed, and the covenant of peace. Melchizedek is Jesus in a theophany. He appears before his incarnation to Abraham. Well, who appeared as the fourth man in the fiery furnace? Jesus. 
I came to tell somebody, your God can handle the heat. You thought he won't appear? Man can do anything. He can handle any heat. He'll step in right there because you are his children. You're connected to the covenant. Somebody say amen. Melchizedek brings out bread and wine, blesses Abraham, pronounces a prophetic blessing. Verse number 19. Abraham gives him a tithe of all. He didn't wince at anything. Gives him a tithe of all because Abraham understands how the principle works. Somebody say amen. amen. Malachi chapter 3. Let's read verse number 7 to 12. Come on. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances, says God. And have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Do not rob God. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the stores that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord kept letter of hosts. There's nobody greater than him. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven. This is your God speaking. God Almighty, the power I will pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that you will not destroy the fruit of your ground. He will not destroy the fruit of your ground. No shall the vine, your vine, fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. When a person does not tithe, he's literally saying, I don't need your help, God. I can do this on my own. What a dangerous place to be. The reason a person does that is because you don't trust God enough to make a way for you following his principles. You trust your own mind and your own thoughts. The reason you don't trust him enough is you never built a relationship with him. How many of you know that God is a healer? Now let me turn that question around. How many of you got healed by your healer? How many of you believe that Jesus is your savior? How many of you got saved by your savior? You see, that's the difference. How many of you believe that God's a deliverer? How many of you got delivered by your deliverer? See, that's the difference. Because the, the liberty that you carry in your own life is the liberty what you, what, that you can give to another. The deliverance that you have in your own life is the deliverance you can give to another. Somebody say amen. amen. Now when God says that you need to tithe, it's his thoughts. He gave it to Abraham. And Abraham could think like him. The desperation of fulfilling your own needs pushes you to act this way when you hold back your tithes instead of believing his principle and trust him to make a way. Every principle of God is a faith principle. Listen to this. You save by faith. You live by faith. You heal by faith. You have deliverance by faith. You have breakthroughs by faith. You tithe by faith. When you stop tithing, your faith levels are diminishing. All right, you're opening your door for accidents. You're opening your door for the enemy to come and cripple you. Bible says then in Malachi chapter 3, he will smite the devourer for yourself. Before, when you tithe, before the enemy touches you, God steps in and says, hey, don't touch him. He's connected to the covenant. And that's why you should not touch him. Somebody say amen. amen. Now the Bible speaks about returning to God. And in Zechariah 1.3, it says, therefore say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. You're in a battle. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Notice the word Lord is written in capital letters. Why is it written in capital letters? Because Lord is the word kurios, the one with supreme authority. There is no one greater than him. So when he says it, just do it. It's going to happen for you. I don't care what the devil says about you and people say about you. 
He's the Alpha and Omega, the first word and the last word concerning your life. He's going to make it good. So, and very good. And really good. And too good. It's going to shock you how good he's going to make it. Simply because he's a good God. You know, when, when Jehoshaphat was faced with the three hostile armies of the inhabitants of the mountain of Seir, in, and the Moabites, the Ammonites, those were the incestuous relationships that the two daughters of Lot had with their father. Now watch this here. And they were not godly people. They were coming against Jehoshaphat. And the Bible says that Jehoshaphat was the, the king of Judah. The king of, he was the king of praise. Watch this now. And when he saw these armies coming up against him, and he says, Lord, see how the enemy has come to take away thine inheritance that you have given unto us. And that he says, but our eyes are fixed on you. Our eyes are riveted on you. Our eyes are focused on you. We're not looking this way and that way. Our eyes are still fixed on you. Because I want you to understand here today, he calls a fasting and prayer, puts the praise and worshipers in the front row of the battle. And this is what they did. They didn't sing long songs that we sing. They said, praise the Lord. His mercies endure forever. Praise the Lord, His mercies endure forever. Everybody, let's stand up and do that together. One, two, three, four. Praise the Lord, His mercies endure forever. Do it one more time. Praise the Lord, His mercies endure forever. David said, I'd rather fall into the hand of the Lord than to fall into the hand of my enemies. Because the Lord is the Lord of heaven's armies. And he has never lost a battle right up to today. So when Jehoshaphat said, our eyes are fixed upon you. And he put the praise and worshipers there. They were depending on the mercy of God. It's like blind Bartimaeus. And walking, and as Jesus passed by, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Out of the mercy of God flows the healings. Out of the mercy of God flows the breakthroughs. Out of the mercy of God flows the miracles. Out of the mercy of God, God is merciful towards you. And God wants to do some great thing in your life. God bless you. You may take your seats. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God comes upon Jehazel of the third day of fasting and prayer. You need not fight in this battle, Jehoshaphat. Stand ye still and see the salvation of your God. The enemies you see today, you shall see no more. Stop fighting your own battles. Hand it over to God. He's a great warrior. Hallelujah. And he can win battles for you. Somebody say amen. amen. Now how do we return? Will a man rob God? You have Rob me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? It doesn't only speak about tithes. Malachi chapter 1 speaks about the altars being defiled. He said, you priests have defiled the altar. Chapter 2, he says, you priests are defiled because you've defiled my altar. Because they brought the blind and the lame and the maim and the dirty. Because anything that is blind shall not enter into an offering. So they brought the thing that was no good for them. Do me a favor and give God your best. And he will give you his best. Somebody say amen. amen. I was fasting when I was 17 years old. And as I was fasting, this is what happened. The Lord said to me, if you give me your best praise, I'll give you your best blessing. Hallelujah. I'm prophesying over that Nadine. Where's Nadine? Stand up, ma'am. When you were leading the meeting, the Spirit of the Lord told me something. That you need to get ready to lead the church in a prophetic warfare praise. 
He says, God says, play something on the keyboard. On prophetic warfare praise because he's about to usher in battles that you lost in the past. You're going to just win through the praise. Get the shofar, get the trumpets, blow the trumpets in Zion, sound the alarm. Know that God's about to visit you in the next three couple days. The next three weeks, God is about to visit you in a supernatural way in this church. Let me get back. Now, the Bible says the word rob is another word in the NLT. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Now, this is no condemnation when you don't tithe. But I'm telling you, you're doing yourself a disfavor. You're making yourself vulnerable and you're exposing yourself. God's grace will still forgive you, but you got to make it up. Because he said that you need to pay it back. Return unto me, I'll return. Give me my stuff, I'll give you your stuff. I'll bless you. Somebody say amen. amen. The word rob is the word kaba, block, obstruct, or obscure. Notice the original King James Version says, will a man rob God? But the NLT says, will a man cheat God? The word cheat is referred to a person who behaves dishonestly in order to gain advantage. You want to have an advantage so that you behave dishonestly. You're stealing from one place to pay another. It won't work for long. You know that. You, you stopped Fushini's or probably two words account and you pay macro. But the next month you still have to cover up. So can I say something? You still have to cover up the tithe. God will forgive you. But if you want to go some places and you want God to bless you, the tithe is important. Listen very carefully now. The word cheat and the synonym to this word is quite expressive. It means a swindler, a cheater, a fraudster, a trickster, a double dealer, a double crosser, a crook, a charlatan, a rogue, a racketeer, a quack, a hoodwinker. You see, we take the things of God because we got this grace movement and we feel like, that's fine, we can do that. But we're doing ourselves a disfavor. God still loves us. The love of God is unconditional. But if you want to be blessed of God, can I tell you something? And you want to be protected because tithing is your protection and your long life. Your offerings are your promotions and your prosperity. So if you want God to bless you, get the two right. Somebody say amen. You can't use the principle of prayer for praying for finances when you don't sow. And you don't pay your tithes. In other words, you're pretending everything is fine while you're stealing God's stuff. That's the worst case scenario. Return back to me. The word return is in Hebraic. The same word return has a similar pronunciation also. It means restitution, restoration, reflection, and repositioning yourself. In other words, I was dreaming a couple of weeks ago. And I heard in my dream the words shub, shuv. And there's three words I heard it clearly in my dream. And the, the words shuv, shub. Shub, shub, and the third word was very, very interesting. As I listened to this word, I, mean, I got up out of my bed and I said, God, what do you mean? Teshuvah. And I looked at my lexicon and my concordance, and this is what it said. The word shub, meaning put back, give back, and restore. And then he said, shub, this word expresses a radical change of mind. In other words, you're sinning. Because to know truth and not to do it is a sin. Is that right? So you're separating yourself from the agreement that you should have with me. I gave you a word, agree with me. Be in harmony and melody and symphony with me. Now watch this carefully. When you disagree, you are lessening your power potential. When you agree, you're doubling your power potential. When you agree with God's word, if two of you shall agree. On earth as touching anything you shall ask. It shall be done on my father which is in heaven. Can I tell you, tell you something the way I think? If you could agree with the word... Two of you on earth, anything shall be happened to you. Somebody say amen. All things are possible. 
Right. Listen to this carefully. So God gave me the word shuv. And then in the second word he said to me, the word shuv, in other words, the, the return to the root word of teshuvah, which means repentance of returning. If you don't have conviction, you can't repent. So the conviction, I'm doing a wrong thing here, Lord. Lord, I, I want to live right with you. I want to get my covenant right with you. So I want to return to you. And how do you do that with repentance? This reminds me several years ago, must be about maybe 30 years ago, I was in a city preaching the word of God, this young man coming up, preaching the word. And I looked at a beggar in the street and I passed him. I was doing street evangelism. I walked down almost three kilometers and the Lord said to me, that's not a good thing to you, for you to do. You may have not had money in your pocket, but I want you to go, here's the standard bank here, withdraw the money and walk back three kilometers and give him 10 rand. 30 years ago. 10 bucks was a lot of money. I did that. Can I tell you something? He that gives to the poor lends to the Lord and the Lord shall repay him. Some of you walked away from blessings because you don't know how to give. Even the parking, the guy in the, in the parking lot, he's not there for nothing. He's being paid for his job. Be supportive. Even when you visit a mall and somebody has been taking care of your vehicle, go back and give them something. Sometimes God is speaking to you. If you listen to the voice of God, he just wants to bless you. When there is a release from your hand, there'll be a receiving coming to you. Somebody say amen. There are eight blessings of tithing. Number one, you bring your tithe into the storehouse. People think that I can take my tithes and give it to the poor. No, it comes to the storehouse. The house that you're attending is the house where your spiritual father is, is your house that you, you, give, you pay your tithes. Notice it says you must pay your tithes and give your offerings. To pay means... It's payment time. Let me explain something to you. God gives you strength to earn money. He gives you long life. He wants to see, and God's not putting a demand on you. He wants you to choose life. Choose his way. So when you choose his way to do it, and it comes out of a cheerful heart, and comes out of a heart that is hilarious, hilaros, the word of God says, cheerful, then God will bless you. And God will prosper you. So the first one is bring it into the stores. Number two, the house of supply. Well, it's not called the house of supply. Number two, providing food in the house of God. It opens the windows of heaven. Number three, for abundant supply. Number four, God rebukes and cripples the devourer on your behalf. Number five, you will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Your life will be fertile for God to produce throughout your lifespan. Number six, your vine will not fail to bear fruit and miscarry. No purpose, dream, or goal of yours will miscarry even childbearing. Number seven, all nations will call you blessed. Your blessings will be a testimony for God's glory. Number eight, you will be a delightful, delightful land. You will become a lovely, desirable, and restorative people. It is only on the principle of tithing that God says, try me, prove me, test me. I'll connect to my covenant and try me, test me, and prove me. I will smite the, smite the devourer. I looked at so many people in life. The older that they get and they've never paid, committed to tithing, the worse it gets in their life. But when you start when you're young, the last 40 years I made sure that I paid my tithes. And I was faithful to God and God took care of every need. There were difficult times. There were hard times. Times of pressure. But it's a choice that you got to make to pay your tithes. You never start giving until you start tithing. In closing, I want to say this to you today. Your, your minister, your apostle, the father of this house, when he asked me to preach, I didn't want to minister. But I'm going to say it this way to you. When God told me years ago, when a father calls, obey the call. When family calls, obey the call. When a friend calls, 
obey the call. When family, when friend, and a father calls. I want you to know something here today. The man of God has a great vision. When we came to the carnival city, and I was there at the meeting, and I saw what God was doing, the vision is big. The vision is great. But here's the prophetic word. Don't slow him down by your not giving. Don't slow him down by holding back what God has put into your hand to be part of the great move of God. Don't slow him down because lots of churches, they slow their minister down. They slow the vision down. They slow the man of God down. I'm getting nothing for saying all what I'm saying to you right now. But I'm going to say something to you that you need to understand. This is how vision operates. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. But, uh, but without the people, the vision perishes. What you need to understand, the scripture works on both sides. But when you connect to the vision, you are laying up treasures in heaven. Your money is working for you. God is blessing your life. God is prospering your life. I'm going to make two more statements and I'm done. And I want you to listen very carefully. They're two powerful statements. Every time you don't give, did you ever think about it this way? You're amplifying the spirit of mammon in your life. Every time you give, you're connecting to the covenant and destroying the devourer over your life. Next statement I want to make to you today. And that is this. God is on your side as long as you connect to the covenant and you stay faithful. You may say to me, I, I think that's kind of legalistic to say it that way. God is a graceful God. His mercies endure forever. But can I say something to you? I have a friend whose tithe is more, more than a million every month. And from the time he's got saved from the age of 19 to right now, he's never missed a tithe. He's doubled his tithe when he wanted to go to a higher point. He trebled his tithe when he wanted to go to a higher earning power. And as you keep on doing that, God will take you to that level simply because God is a covenant keeper. And if you can keep your covenant with a covenant keeper, the covenant keeper will keep his covenant with a covenant keeper. Because we are covenant children. We are not born outside the covenant. We are born within the frames and perimeters of the covenant. And the covenant will not fail. It is an eternal covenant. God chooses to bless you. He wants to bless you. He desires to bless you. And if you choose this life, you shall have it. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For more information on products, please visit our website or send us an email. All the details are on the back of the product pack.